It's time for an inside look at the most powerful motorsport on the planet. WFO Radio, NHRA Nitro. For more than a decade, FTI has strived to become the leader in the aftermarket performance transmission and converter industry. We've joined forces with McLeod Driveline Components under the leadership of Top Fuel Funny Car pilot Paul Lee and now have a larger distribution network, more resources, and more power. Come see us in the pits and ask how you can join the FTI family. It's not cheating. It is the competitive edge. This is WFO Radio. Hey everybody, WFO Radio back in the studio after a mini Western swing. Arizona and Pomona, the Winter Nationals, are in the books. What a great race we had. Surprising, in fact. I know there was a lot to talk about. We'll get into all of it. There's so many great things to discuss. And the voice of the NHRA, Alan Reinhardt, going to be joining us just minutes from now to break it all down. But I had a great time. I stayed out between the Arizona Nationals and the Winter Nationals and just spent a long, long time out there on the road. That, Reinhardt's used to that stuff. I'm not used to it. But I uh, had a great time and interacted with so many different race fans. Had just a great time. Everybody pretty much uniformly excited about the start to the 2023 Camping World Series season. Everybody is like feeling it. And getting to the In-N-Out Burger Pomona drag strip and seeing how much was invested to, you know, like refresh the place, renew the place, to give all kinds of great energy to the place. Uh, it was awesome. And to be able to enjoy double-doubles on the property over and over again, it was amazing. So we got a lot to talk about. We're going to get into it here on the show. But first, I want to tell you about the people who make it possible for me to do this show, and I know I had somebody tell me a while back, like, Joe, you know, back in the day, the show wasn't corporate, and now you got all these sponsors, and I was like, you know, how else am I supposed to do it? Like, uh, how else am I supposed to do it? And so please uh, accept these couple of moments uh, discussing our sponsors as a means of creating the show. And oh, by the way, there's all kinds of nuggets of information embedded in our sponsor reads, like Phillips Connect, right? Those guys were out there, the whole Phillips army was out there this weekend, and they love the sport of drag racing. This is an example. I'm going to give you a note that I mentioned to the folks from Phillips that when we look back at NHRA and say, where did this thing really start growing again? I think you could put the data point right on top of where they agreed to support Justin Ashley and a three-race deal became a full-time deal. And a company like Phillips Connect comes on board with NHRA drag racing, invests in the sport, post-pandemic, young racer, talented racer, goes on to win races, contend for the championship, comes out of the box, wins two in a row. This is one of the big moments that people are going to look at. And oh, by the way, smart trailer technology for you, if you're in the trucking industry, keeps you out on the road, keeps you aware of what's going on on the road. Go to Phillips-Connect. And if you are in the transportation industry, I can make a personal introduction. Just email me, joe at wforadio.com, and I love doing that. We already heard about FTI performance transmissions and torque converters, and it's just always an exercise. Like, who's winning out there, right? Chances are they got FTI decals 
on them. Paul Lee had a good weekend. He was not the best. He ran into Ron Capp's first round. That's always tough. But the car going down the racetrack, they've got less than 20 runs on their new clutch program, FTIPerformance.com. The folks at Foggit, don't just spray it, Foggit. Giovanni in Miami came up with that one on the Ignition Show. Really, though, for everybody that's in our audience, I know we got a lot of Lucas Oil Series racers. We got a lot of bracket racers. We got a lot of people who care about the inside of their engine. Previously, what did you use, right, to, to fog your engine, to protect your cylinder walls? And the answer is I don't know, and nobody knows. There was a bunch of different stuff, but it wasn't exactly right for what you're trying to do. Now you have a product designed specifically for that by people who know what they're talking about, talking about Gary Stinnett and Steve Williams partnering together on Foggit. They've got a contingency program. Got to get involved in that. F-O-G-G-I-T.com. Go to the website to learn more about Foggit. Because you spent a lot of money on your Total Seal piston rings, right? Like you're getting together with the folks at Total Seal to get some great rings, to get that great ring seal. And you want to keep it as perfect as is possible. Totalseal.com. We were there at the shop last week, the factory. We were in the bowels of Total Seal. It was great. We had a great show. Hartford announced the new Getrix sponsorship, and he goes all the way to the final, wins the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge. That's great stuff, but it's all an exercise in promoting great ring seal, the science of ring seal. They're in Formula One cars. They're in Indy cars. They're in sports cars. They're in stock eliminator cars. And of course, they're in pro stock cars. If you need rings for your engine, go to totalseal.com. If you are an engine builder, then you should be on this program already, knowing that they are an industry leader, totalseal.com. Then there's Bernie's, B-U-R-N-Y-Z-Z.com, Bernie's. This is Josh Hart. What a great weekend he had. Well, Joe, he went out. They went down the racetracks. They discovered their problem. What was going on? They were blowing the tires off right at the hit. Josh told me reset we reset everything they reset and they went down the racetrack so a get well weekend for those guys they didn't get a lot of round wins but they figured out some things that had been tripping them out uh tripping them up uh but then again you know the season is still a success already for josh hart because they won 80 grand out there at the gator nationals and the two in the pep boys all-star call out and we were all out there at bernie's and the fact that like thousands and thousands of people got to see bernie's and what they're all about and how they can do classic restorations and they sell cars on consignment. So if you've got a classic muscle car you're looking to sell, you could do your best with Auto Trader and have a bunch of people come kick tire and not know exactly what they're talking about. Or you can showcase it in front of an audience that's looking for that. Bernie's.com. Later on in the show, I'll tell you about Sam Tech. I'll tell you about Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School. And I'll tell you about my buddy Marvin Rodak as we get ready for the big stampede of speed down there in our Patreon meetup at uh, the Texas Motorplex. But now let's go out to Tucson, Arizona. With the voice of the NHRA, Alan Reinhardt is ready to recap the Winter Nationals. AR, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, good to be home for a few days and uh, getting ready to head out because uh, that starts in earnest here pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess. Well, when's your next head out? Where are you going? What are you doing? Uh, well, I may actually go to Bristol this weekend. Um, had an invitation come through, so I'm looking at that. And then, uh, you know, Vegas and Vegas and uh, where we go after Vegas, I don't remember. Yeah, uh, Vegas with Charlotte, and then uh, we got Chicago, and we've got the, we got the little four wide mini season. It's going to be great, but uh, that's that's awesome stuff. Like, okay, so I came being on the road with the tour a little bit, like hanging around drag racers and drag racing people, like every day for twelve days. It was really interesting to hear kind of the vibe. Gainesville total home run, you know, five hundred foot Aaron Judge rocket home run, great stuff. 
the Arizona Nationals. While a little sad that it is maybe the last race, still a home run. Packed house, packed rafters. People were concerned about the Winter Nationals. Like, what's it going to be like? Is it going to break the momentum? How many people are going to show up? Southern California, who knows? And my assessment was up year over year, more than expected. And a crowd that if you picked it up and somehow put it into the Wild Horse Pass uh, venue would have been as big or bigger. So I felt like it was super successful. Plus the branding of In-N-Out Burger Pomona Drag Strip, seeing that the fresh start, all the money that was invested, the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge program, total home run. I think this keeps our 2023 momentum going strong. I think so as well. You know, there's always going to be uh, the naysayers and the people on the internet. They're, well, I saw empty seats. And, well, so did I. And uh, But as you mentioned, you know, the size of the stadium, you've got to take that into consideration. And would you rather sell a 1,000 tickets in an 800-seat stadium and say, wow, look how deep they are at the fence? Or would you rather sell 2,500 tickets in a 4,000-seat stadium and go, well, geez, there's some empty spots out there. You know, selling more tickets is always good. That place is huge. And while not record setting, I certainly wasn't embarrassing to see the crowd that was in there. I thought we had a very nice turnout. We had good weather. Uh, once we got through a little, you know, Thursday sprinkle shower in the morning and about a heck of a show that they came to see. But I think, you know, I, I agree with you, Sid. I think that, you know, the momentum's strong. I think the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge in Phoenix, everybody was kind of like, okay, well, you know, let's see, right? Is anybody going to care? Is it going to make any difference? And personally, I think that when Steve Torrance double-stepped, that kind of shows everybody that they're taking this seriously. Because when's the last time somebody double-stepped in a qualifying run? But it's not just a qualifying run when you've got the extra cash and the points and stuff on the line. Uh, you know, Matt Hartford said, uh, when I spoke to him last week after Phoenix, you know, hey, you're going to be in the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge. He's like, eh, so he said, you know what, I, I'm more worried about qualifying. I'm worried, not that big a deal. And then come Saturday, and it's like, well, you've got money on the line, you got and all of a sudden, it's a competition. You know, you can you can downplay it, I guess, uh, going into the week or going into the event all you want. But when those two cars pull around the corner and you realize I'm racing for more than just a qualifying spot, it ratchets up a notch. And I think everybody was feeling that. So good for Saturday. Um, you know, we certainly had a couple of incidents I could have done without the, you know, the J.R. Todd and John Force thing was, uh, was awful, uh, although both walked away. And then, you know, Geneva Nash and John Richardson getting together in top dragster was very scary. But uh, both of them were back at the racetrack the next day as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's good. I hate to see the cars get put to a test. I love seeing them pass the test because you understand that, you know, from time to time, like I've said before, we ain't playing with yarn balls out here. Things are going to happen. And it's good to see that when the machines got put to the test, that they passed the test and protected the people that were inside of them. Yeah, I, well, exactly. And that, um, the, you know, the JR stuff, you know, <laughs> I had a great preseason conversation with both Chad and JR, and they were so excited because they had worked so hard to get everything right where they needed it to be. And, you know, just such positive energy. And, well, they didn't get the greatest results in the, well, the, you know, the Gator Nationals, they got a good result, uh, getting to the final round. But, to see not just one car, but two cars like vaporized and put them that far back. Ah, oh, man, it's aggravating. It's tough, but they're going to go to work. They got two weeks. They'll get it all sorted out. I'm hearing that, uh, you know, everybody is all hands on deck, jumping in to get the chassis ready. And 
like you said, we're not playing with yarn balls. That's one of the many things that can happen when you're out there, but uh, just tough. I talked to Connie and he had, it was really interesting. He had a smile on his face, but he wasn't, he wasn't happy. Well, you know, you're never happy when you get, a, you know, when somebody destroys a race car. And in that case, um, you know, JR was an innocent bystander. You know, when, uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, I'm sure you can find it on the internet. But, uh, you know, in qualifying, John came across and, and got tangled up with JR and, and basically just uh, caught him up. And, and again, I'm not, you know, John Force did not forget how to drive a race car. John Force, you know, things like that happen sometimes. And when you make as many runs down the racetrack as he does, um, you know, the odds of it happening to you are higher than the odds of it happening to, you know, somebody that doesn't make nearly as many runs down the racetrack. Uh, you know, I know that he hated it for him and for JR. And one of the things that, you know, the Kalitas are dealing with is that that was a new PBRC race car. And they don't have another one of those. They do have another race car, but they don't have another PBRC car. And they there was one on the jig. Uh, after the accident happened, I actually mentioned something over the air. And within seconds, I got a text message from Joe and Dan that said, we're already working on it. And showed me a picture of the car that... that they're going to try to fast track and get finished, whether it'll be finished in time for Vegas. I seriously doubt, but I don't know that. Um, I promise you it'll be finished by the time we get to Charlotte. So, you know, they had made the transition to a different chassis and they were learning the new one and then have to go back and go, okay, well now we've got to back up and go back to, you know, stuff that, you know, older technology that we were running last year. And then they go out the first run with that thing and it blows the body off of it. And so it was just a very forgettable weekend for JR Todd, but everybody walked away and, uh, you know, we can build more race cars and we'll be ready to compete when we get to Vegas. Yeah. He'd like to forget it. I don't know if he will PBRC, um, for people who don't know that name's been thrown out there a couple of times, Matt Hagen mentioned it after winning the Gator nationals. He said, JR has one. So that's a name people haven't necessarily heard, but all of a sudden they got cars in the winter circle left and right. These are the, as I understand it, uh, guys from the the Don Schumacher shop who have gone off on their own and started their own thing as Don Schumacher Racing has wound down. Is that correct? Yeah, PBRC is precision built race cars. And Joe and Dan, who ran the chassis facility uh, over at DSR, uh, decided to go out on their own. And so they rented spot uh, in one of Larry Dixon's buildings over there. They bought their own equipment and they are doing the same work that they used to do in-house for DSR. Only now they're doing it independently and it's available to a lot of teams. So, um, you know, they just decided that, you know, with things that were changing and things that were happening, that this would be a good time for them to make that move and, you know, good on them. They're both very, very talented guys and they certainly know what they're doing. You know, all those years that they spent over there uh, inside DSR shop and neither one of them was a rookie when it came to welding pipe together before they got there. So. Uh, just decided to go out on their own, but Precision Built Race Cars is what PBRC is, and they have a number of cars out there. It was kind of interesting last year when they when they started this whole uh, thing, the number of teams that they were doing work for and with that were kind of keeping it under their hat a little bit because of previous relationships. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just becoming, I think, you know, a little bit more public now, but uh, they build really really good cars as has been proven over and over and over again so um they've got you know plenty going on down there and and now they've just got uh, they're going to try to fast track the new one for jr yeah let's hope uh they are able to do it and uh you know good for those guys i, I think this is just the continuation of the story 
as as Don Schumacher Racing became this massive uh, conglomerate, and then it, it it goes away. Like you don't uh, destroy energy, right? Like that energy went out, and these guys started a chassis shop, and Caps became an owner, and Antron became an owner, and everybody is kind of doing their own thing. Uh, it doesn't go away; it just changes. And this is just one of the many examples. And, uh, you know, somewhere along the line, like Don Schumacher's investment, when we go back and think about what it did for the sport of drag racing, like you prune back the tree a little bit and all of a sudden it grows. Uh, someone's saying, I think there was something, there was an issue with the track. Uh, I, I want to expand on this. I had a good conversation with Ron Caps, and Caps told me that Pomona is a tough track to drive. Said flat out, he goes, this is not an easy track. You just don't go straight. They've all got their character. And this is one that it's not an easy track to drive. You don't just go straight. And uh, we saw Wilk get over the center line. We saw Jeff Deal get over the center line. We had, uh, you know, that's, it's not just every track is just perfect and straight and flat. It just goes and you don't have to worry about steering the car. You have to drive these race cars. That's what makes it challenging. That's part of drag racing and going fast. Well, every track has its own little nuances, you know, whether it's, you know, new concrete, old concrete, if there's a crown one way or the other to help with drainage when it rains. And, you know, the drivers all know that. But you also get into a situation where, and what it looked like happened to John, and, and he wasn't the only one, was the car got down there and started to spin the tires. Now, at the time, well down track, John wasn't qualified, or at least not qualified very well. I think he was under the 416 or something like that. And he knows... Right. There's more cars than there's spots. I, ha I have to qualify or I'm going to end up being a Sunday spectator. And I really thought we might see a three second bump before the whole thing was over with and mentioned at a time or two. But when John's car started spinning at tires, he doesn't really have the option to take his foot off the gas because of where he's qualified. You know, had he already been in with a 392, he probably just shuts the thing off and that's that. But he tried to stay with it. And again, nobody's got more experience than him. And I'm not saying that he did anything wrong. But the car all of a sudden just darted to the left, which sometimes they do. Um, and when it did that, then he was just fighting, 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 trying to regain control. And by the time he did, he would, you know, been on the other side of the racetrack. And like I said, just parachutes um, caught up JR. So I hate it really for JR and for Coletta and, and the guys because they really were kind of an innocent bystander. But you also know when you leave the starting line that, you know, these things happen sometimes and you are not in, you know, you, you're not covered in bubble wrap when you're out there on the racetrack going 300 miles an hour or even 200 miles an hour, or even 100 miles an hour for that matter. So everybody's okay. They can build new race cars and we'll just get back to it. Absolutely. Disappointing. It, it does just go to show you how far the sport has come with, uh, with safety and how, you know, when incidents happen where it's, it's a big deal, which it, it should be. Um, we don't want to see it ever. The racing is so great that we don't want to see incidents like that ever. And we're working hard to not have them. And they're becoming less less uh, frequent. I do want to tell everybody out there while you're all watching tomorrow, Wednesday, because this show happens, you know, early in the week. The Reinhardt Show is on uh, Tuesdays. Typically, we get together. We do recap. We do results. Hopefully, we'll share the show and put it out there. But Justin Ashley going to join us on Wednesday at 1 o'clock. We'll catch up with Justin, who won Top Fuel, won the Too Fast, Too Tasty. He won everything. And let's uh, let's spend a little more time on the Mission Foods Too Fast, Too Tasty challenge. Like, we could, we got so much to analyze, right, Alan? Like, there's all these races. But Chad Green won something in a funny car, right? Like, that's a big yeah. deal. They won a race in a funny car. Justin Ashley won the Too Fast, Too Tasty. And you mentioned Matt Hartford already. Those wins 
are a big deal. They are championship points. They are money. But it's also that learning how to win, that momentum, that we did something. We rolled up in a final round and we scored. And they have to run again. Like when we go to Chicago, like these matchups are going to happen again. We're going to get to see the Aaron Stanfield, Matt Hartford burn down again. Maybe uh, we'll get into that when we talk pro stock, but just the program. Nobody expected it to be as great as it is. I think that's the overwhelming feeling. It's way better than people expected. Well, again, you know, it's competition and these guys are competitors. If you tell them we're racing for something, they are going to get more serious about it than just we're making a run to qualify to get yourself a place on the ladder. And the, yeah, I, I love Daniel Wilkerson when he said, yeah, we've been calling the chimichanga challenge over at our place. And I really hope the mission foods guys weren't upset by that because I thought, Hey, it was funny. B mission foods sells things that make chimichangas, right? If I, if I'm mission, I'm embracing it. So, you know, I hope nobody was upset by that. I think it's great that they're talking about it. And, you know, when you make it to the semis, you can check that box. You know, the next time that we get to the racetrack, we are going to now be part of this deal, no matter what happens the rest of the day. And I think that just makes a semifinal showing on Sunday an even better day than it already was. Most people will tell you that, you know what, if we make it to the semis, we're having a pretty good day. Make it to the final, we're having a great day. Make them, you know, win the race, we're having an exceptional day. But if we make it to the semis, we're having a good day. And now it's an even better day because that locks you into the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge for the following event. Which, by the way, will not take place in Vegas, will not take place in Charlotte, uh, because the four-wide format just isn't conducive to it. So the Too too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge will be contested again when we get to Chicago. Yes, exactly. Went to in Chicago. And Terry Haddock will be in the Mission Foods Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge. I want to talk a lot about Terry Haddock, but let's start with top fuel. Justin Ashley, number one qualifier gets around Chris. That first round gets that by run second round. I know a lot of people like there's a, there's a negative, right. To talk about, well, we didn't have full field of top fuel cars, but as Jason McCullough told me, but 12 of them can run in the sixties. And so it's a very difficult top fuel field. Maybe the most difficult that has ever happened. Um, and I, you know, uh, we, we got to work on that. We got to get a couple more cars. Thanks to Jasmine Salinas. We know we got at least one more on the way next year. Who knows who else will be out there, but what a great field. Um, but Justin goes to the semis where he has to run his teammate, Antron Brown. They are calling themselves teammates now. Like for a while, it was like quasi teammates. Now they're calling themselves teammates. That was teacher versus student. Justin licensed in Antron's car. Antron told me like, this is it. It says throw down as it gets. Like I want to beat this kid. And uh, Justin, 47 to Antron's 49, runs 74-3, wins the race to go to the final to set up a rematch of the uh, the of previous. Of everything. Right. The, all these guys run is each other. Austin Proc gets to the final round, taking down Leah, taking down Steve, taking down Brittany, which is something he did uh, at back-to-back Pomona races now, to go up against Justin. Justin, 33 in the final, runs a 71, and all of a sudden, they won at Dallas. They had three first round losses and now they've won two races. The Phillips connect team is uh, removing any doubt that may have crept into the minds of folks at the end of last year. Well, they certainly got a good car and a good combination right now. You know, in the final of the too fast, too tasty challenge, they stole the number one qualifying spot because that run is, is also, you know, qualifying session number three. So that put them in a favorable position on the ladder with the by run being on that side. And then I just think it's fascinating that Austin Proc last year raced in five final rounds and four times he raced Justin Ashley in the final round. 
those two seem to just have like some kind of magnetic attraction to be in the final every week. And Justin said well, when he spoke to him in the winner's circle, he said, yeah, I'd be good with that every week. And, you know, if, if I have to run Austin in the final every week, send it. You know, however many we win or lose. But he said, you're telling me I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. But they do have a really good car right now. You know, they got off to a little bit of a slow start with the early exit out there in, uh, in Gainesville. But since then, in a competition round, they haven't been beat to the finish line yet. And that includes the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge. Yeah, it's uh, a good point to showcase that Austin Prock and Justin Ashley, two young, very talented racers. And that's why at the beginning, I, when I was talking about Phillips Connect, their investment that's what the sport needs. That's what where our where our problem was. You get this talented person and then they can't find funding because maybe nobody knows who they are or they don't have the relationships and then they go off and do something else and get a regular job and stop drag racing. You got Justin and Austin. Austin had to go be a crew guy for a couple of years. He thought he had made it and got a win and then the pandemic happened, but he hung around obviously because that's his family's deal. Justin same uh similar situation, able to bring on Phillips and it's the investment of those sponsors that is giving us this great sport that we have with talented young racers who are battling it out on the racetrack. And um, I think it's showing that drag racing is healthy. Someone out there in the chat section said, Brittany had left first in each of her rounds. Yes, she did. She will be there. Um, just good, good action all day long in top fuel. It was. And, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the funding, I think that the Phillips, uh, people, Rob Phillips was there. They had a lot of people from because their headquarters are in Southern California. So, you know, when Rob is there and they've got a bunch of the company brass and, and he made the point that the investment that they have made has paid off so big in business because it's a great way to entertain customers. It's a great way to connect with customers. You know, when you get someplace outside of the boardroom where you've got something else going on that people enjoy doing and enjoy being a part of. And while other sports certainly have, you know, their hospitality and their meet and greet and their, you know, opportunities to get with and hang out with your driver, your team, your whatever, uh, nobody does it like we do, where you can be pit side. You can watch them work on the car that close. The driver in between sessions has an opportunity to come over and say hi and sit down and take pictures and do whatever. And that's what sold Phillips. You know, not the fact that, you know, well, the car's winning in the car, but the business that they can do at the racetrack. And getting the word out, I think, to other companies to come out and just take a look at how you are allowed to do business is what we need to do to grow to grow the sport. We've got plenty of talented drivers out there. We have plenty of talented crew chiefs out there, and we've got plenty of people that want to work on these things. What we need to do is find some more uh, of the business partners. And, you know, it's not all, you know, just put the name on the side of the car and let the fans see it, let the people on TV see it. That certainly is part of it and has value. But depending on your company, you know, Dick Levi has supported Tim Wilkerson for years, not because somebody in the stands might go, hey, I think I'll call Levi Ray and Schaup and see if they can help me with my website. But because he could bring customers to the racetrack and because they had their own car to root for and because he had such a great relationship with his driver, <coughs> excuse me, that that's what made it pay off for him. You know, if you've got a company that's just looking for exposure, wants to be on TV, we could certainly help you with that too. But the opportunities that are available at the racetrack for a big corporation are unmatched. NHRA is head and shoulders above anybody else. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, people are realizing it. We're in a do a, a, nif- a different world, a new world where that face to face is really appreciated all of a sudden. And, and a lot of other layers of work have moved to screen to screen and, and uh, just having a real experience is so valuable. Great stuff. I'm seeing a lot of stuff in the chat section, Alan. I want to ask you about something because I've got a strong opinion about this. There was a video, uh, the starter, uh, in my opinion, saved someone's life this uh, weekend. And it was with a competition eliminator was on track. One of the crew guys was going into the door of the car. The car was staged and it was a moment of decision. And, and then the guy fell down, got off balance and fell down. And if you see the video out of context, which is all over the internet, right? Out of context videos, look at the starter. He pushes this guy. But that's not what, at least from my perspective, uh, what happened at all. It was like a first responder reaching in and saving someone from near certain death. Uh, had the car launched really bad things could have happened. I don't want to be all hyperbolic or everything. Who knows what would have happened. But for anybody who is out there, like some are trying to say, yeah, it wasn't that bad. That's not how I view that deal at all. I view our starter as having taken decisive action in a very critical moment. Do you even know what I'm talking about? I didn't see it happen. And I haven't gone and searched for the video, but I did talk to a couple of people and and understand, uh, you know, as you said, when a vehicle is fully staged and when the tree is activated, that thing, you know, it's leaving and it's going to leave at a you know, pretty high rate of speed very quick. Somebody who doesn't realize that and now wants to go up and touch the vehicle or open the door of the vehicle and do something is in a very dangerous position. And the starter removed him from that dangerous position. As I understand it, um, the guy that the crew guy that didn't realize the thing was fully stayed, didn't. And as I understand it, when they spoke afterwards, the guy basically told the starter, thank you, because I was about to be in a really bad position. So um, again, I un- I haven't done the search to look for it, um, but you know, don't, don't take it out of context. If, if, if I'm about to do something really stupid and you want to grab me in the back of my shirt and drag me out of the way, please do. Yes. Um, you know, and so- And I, I think- fall down and scrape myself. It's unfortunate, but- Wow. And just seeing how it's portrayed, there have been some I've seen the video a bunch of times, right? It got sent to me a bunch of times and and it's in the chat section, which I don't want people to think, oh, they're ignoring it. Right. Like right in the middle of our conversation, I kind of go hard left on this deal, but it's in our it's in our chat. And I, I don't want people thinking that I'm avoiding something like that when in actuality, that was a heroic second. Because, like you said, that car goes to launch. There's someone touching it, holding on to it. Doors open. Could have been uh, a bad moment. So the starter's number one job, number one job is to watch out for the safety of the competitors, or in this case, the crew people. That's his number one job. Any, anybody can sit up there and flip the switch when the cars come in. Anybody can do that. The starter's number one job is the safety of the competitors and those that are on the starting line. And that's why he is in charge up there. And if he sees something that's out of line, he is responsible to make sure that it gets handled as judiciously as possible. And in a case like that, it's not like you can go, oh, time out. I need to talk to this guy. Hold on. When the sequence is started, the truck is staged, the cars are going to be leaving the starting line literally in seconds or less. You can't at that point, you know, just put everything in slow motion. You've got to make a decision. You've got to react right now. He did. 
and nobody got hurt. I think that, you know, it, it floors me when there are situations where everybody wants to go, well, what about this and what about this and what about this? The bottom line is nobody got hurt. And that, I think, is the most important thing. I'll never forget. It, it was hilarious to me when they had the uh, fire at the Mandalay Bay a few years ago. And the fire chief is talking to uh, one of the reporters, and the reporter's going, well, you know, you were a little slow getting people out, and well, you know, you didn't do this right, and well, you know, you should have done this different. And the fire chief finally looked at her and said, we evacuated the building with zero injuries. What the hell is your problem? Because that's their job. Make sure the other people are safe and get them out of harm's way in a safe fashion, and that's exactly what our guy did. Yeah, there's, there's always something to learn, to go back, post-op, figure things out, review all that. But in this case, it's uh, the video is being put out there uh, in an out of context way by some just for their own entertainment. So I felt like it was worth addressing. Thank you for uh, allowing me to do that for the person who uh, who asked the question, because you got to understand, like these guys love the racers. They are not boiling in the sun for 10 hours a day because they don't love the racers. Right. And uh, and he did his job and he did his job well. And so I, you know, hats off. Uh, Cruz Pedregon, number one qualifier, ran real great, ran John Force in the first round, got to the second round, got beaten by Ron Caps, who went all the way to the final round, took down Tasca. Tasca told me he broke a rod in the semis, unfortunate because he was uh, right in the mix of that race. Caps versus Hagen. Hagen, who won at the Gator Nationals, gets through Blake, gets through Alexis, who has been super good, gets through Terry Haddock. Terry Haddock got down the racetrack, you know, 411, 299. That team, a lot of people super happy. That's going to be the rematches at the Too Fast, Too Tasty in Chicago. Caps, Tasca, Hagen, Haddock. But it's Matt Hagen over Ron Caps. And uh, 032 reaction time in the final for Matt Hagen. And Hagen is two out of three. I think it's interesting that there have been six final round appearances by Funny Cards so far this year, and Caps, Hagen, Height, and J.R. Todd made the final out in uh, out in Gainesville. But three of the big four from last year, Caps, Hagen, and Height, have taken five of the six available spots in the final round so far. Uh, you know, Bob Tasker has got a really good car. He's going to get some licks in before before too much longer. You can tell by the way that thing's running. And there are some other good cars out there as well. You know, definitely the competition level has come up. But uh, the fact that Caps, Hagen, and Height have been in five of the six potential final round slots so far this year. Yeah, amazing. So, you know, the more things change, the more they yeah. stay the same. But everybody, this is one. So I was working. A lot of people thought I had passed away because I was not on the broadcast with you. Oh, I got well, a bunch I told of... Him, I told him that. You know, Is that what it was? Joe's on TV. He's dead to me. <laughs> okay, dead to you is one thing. People were like, are you okay? Are you alive? I'm like, guys, I'm okay. I just got drafted into the TV deal this weekend. So a lot of my uh, job was to go talk to people, which was really interesting and very worthwhile. What I noticed, though, is that everybody is still working on their new stuff. Like they, they, there wasn't anybody who's like, yeah, we totally got a handle on it. And I'm sure that Guido and those guys are pretty much what they had. But Dickie, new stuff, new combination, not figured it out just yet. We don't have it yet. That's what Wilk is saying. Wilk is dealing with uh, you know new parts. Like what's it like to race with new parts? Wow, these things don't flex nearly as much as the worn out stuff that I'm used to running all these years. Um, but everybody is still working on all their new stuff. Because they know you've got to have new stuff if you're going to hang these days. Like you can't, you can't hang if you don't keep stepping on it. 
Well, you know, you look at what Steve Torrance did last year, right? When they said, we know we're taking a step back because we also know people are catching up to us and we need to try to extend. We need to try to find the next advantage. Uh, ultimately, didn't work out for him last year, but you do need to keep going forward. If you're not moving forward, the guy behind you is going to run you over at some point. And so that's why you've got to keep doing it. Uh, I spoke to Dickie a little bit this weekend, and he said that they're doing some different stuff for the chassis. And again, they're working with PBRC. But he said one of the issues that they, they always had at Schumacher's, and as for as much success as they had, he said, if I had an idea and I said, hey, I want to try to incorporate this in my car, it got incorporated into everybody's car because Don's philosophy was, you know, all for one, right? And that if he wasn't going to allow one of his teams to do something and put up a tent around it so the rest of the teams, he wanted all of his teams to be as competitive as possible. But being out from that umbrella now, if he's got some ideas about things that he wants to do, he can go to PBRC and say, look, I want you to do this for me and get it done exclusively for him without getting out into the rest of the world. So if you make the chassis a little different, and I don't know if it's you know stiffer or if it's flexier or if it's eight feet longer, I, I'm pretty sure it's not that, but... Um, then it's going to react differently. And that's what he's working on and trying to figure out. And, you know, as you say, he's won two of the first three races, so he certainly doesn't look like he's too lost. But he still believes that there is advantage and performance to be had. He just needs to get in there and find it. That's see that to me, there's that story again, right? They like from DSR, something different is happening that is changing the sport. It's just an interesting story we're going to be tracking. And yeah, like you don't have to share all your information. Uh, and we will have on this show, guys, an interview with Dickie Venables from the Winner's Circle. Uh, I hadn't been promoting it necessarily because I wasn't sure if the upload happened, but I've just received notice the upload has happened. And so I should be able to play it right after Alan Reinhardt, which is good stuff. Great funny car racing. Let's talk Terry Haddock, though, for a minute. Let's. Uh, so here's what the quote that I heard from a bunch of people. He's doing it the right way. The word now was thrown out there a couple of times, sometimes not. Terry told me himself they sold the top fuel dragster, mm -hmm. that they are going to focus on, quote unquote, doing it the right way. You got Johnny West over there. You got some others uh, over there. A lot of teams jumped in to help them. And it makes me feel great for the guy. And Johnny West even said, he goes, hey, maybe we're the next coil and force. Who knows? Right. Because they've got this respect for each other. And Terry, you know, he, he, he was doing everything himself and no one person can do everything themselves at a high level. You just can't. Sometimes the thing's got to be delegated. And so Johnny has got things handled in a way that Terry can trust that they will be done at a high level. And if a mistake is made, he still just trust Johnny West focus on driving the car and other things. And they were, they look like, I don't know, man, they could go some rounds this year. This could be a career year if it isn't already. For Terry Haddock. Well, he's still not ready to go out there and run 385. But they're getting the car down the racetrack. They're not hurting the car. And the number of rounds that you can win just by not making a mistake and going to the stripe is pretty high. You know, are you going to win five races a year by running 4-0 or 399? No. Could you win one or two? Certainly. We've seen it before. I think, you know, this probably goes back a little bit, but Rance McDaniel for a number of years when he was running top fuel, 
never set out to qualify number one, never set out to set the track record. He was just trying to be good with his parts and go down the racetrack every single time. If he qualified seventh through 10th or 12th, that was fine. And if you came up first round and you were going to run low ET of the event, well, you were going to win. But if you had just an itty bitty toe stub, he was going to beat you because he was going to the finish line every time. And what Terry looks like he's doing now is just that, going to the finish line every time. If you pull up next to him and you run 388, congratulations, you win the race, he'll see you next week. But if you pull up next to him and you shake the tires or you have to pedal, then he's going to run his four flat or high 390 and he's going to come back next round. It's the first time in his career that he'd been to semifinals after beating two people. He made it to the semis at, uh, at Epping a year ago when Ron Cap smoked the tires in the first round and there was a buy run in the second round that was available. So he did make it to the semis there, but this is the first time he made it to the semis by beating two people. And Matt Hagen had to outrun him in that semi. He didn't go up there and give that one away either. So I think good things are coming for that team. You know, is he going to go out? Is he going to go out and win three of the next four races? No. But I think, you know, as you said, doing it the right way, concentrating on one instead of, you know, not really having enough personnel to run two cars, but trying to run two cars. And when you end up doing stuff like that, you know, things get overlooked and silly mistakes get made and things. And right now he looks like uh, he looks like he's got a good car out there. I think I think the people that pull up next to him for the next three, four, five, six weeks are going to look at him a whole lot different than they did for the last couple of years. You know, I mean, it used to be. Oh, I got to run Terry. Okay, who do I have second round? And I think now, after a couple of races in, people are looking at Terry going, I better make sure I don't screw this up because he now looks like he's in position to take advantage of any little mistake I make. And that wasn't always the case. Yeah, no, it's great. And and look at just the chat section. Everybody is loving. Good guy. We all love Terry. We all love Terry. And we want to see that team solidify right like they've been doing it they proved they can do it on no money all right you, you've proven you can do it on no money it's amazing but maybe they can get some money when some people realize like hey man this car's gonna get on tv it's gonna go down the racetrack and that's how you build a successful operation you you take steps and uh and this was a big step this past weekend hey i just want to give point standings justin ashley leads the points uh, by 45 over Steve Torrance, by 55 over Mike Salinas, by 64 over Brittany, by 67 over Austin Proc. That is, uh, you know, it's it's still very close. Matt Hagen leads over Ron Caps by 26, by 64 over Alexis, who has had a great start to the season. Yeah. Alan, I spoke with Alexis. It's so crazy that GR Super Showdown, she was so proud of her win over Justin Ashley. Like, that's the only thing the kid lost this weekend. We didn't really <laughs> mention it, but she's like, you know, even that, that made me feel good. Like, I went up she's there. And she is competitive. So good it's, stuff. It's simple as that. Uh, but but great stuff. And then there's Pro Stock. All right, let's go to the factory hot rods where Dallas Glenn leads the points over Hartford and Camry by five. This week was the week of, of Hartford. Hartford had a good run out there in Arizona, got beat by Camry when she had her best light and best run of the weekend. Goes out there, was bonus points each qualifying session, won the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge, Was uh, had lane choice each round, goes to the final round, was involved in a great staging duel against Aaron Stanfield. How cool was that? We've had a couple of staging duels this year. Goes to the final round, has a good light, just gets beaten by Dallas Glenn by three thousandths of a second. I know they were disappointed. I don't know that they should be, though. They brought on Getrix. I mean, you're, you're always disappointed when you don't win, but a great weekend for Hartford. Dallas Glenn getting his first win, and, um, you know, the pro stock wheel keeps turning. 
Well, it was interesting because in Phoenix, he felt like he had the car to win the race and he made a mistake. Simple as that. Here, he felt like he had the car to win the race and he got ambushed. And that's certainly what it looked like to me. I mean, I'm looking at the performance of those two cars throughout the course of the day and thinking to myself in the final round, you know, Dallas, I'm not saying he's got to be double O, but Dallas better leave first or else because he's been getting outrun by a hundred, a hundred and a half most of the day. And when I looked down at the lights and, and uh, Matt left first, it was like 16 to 25 or 19 to 26 something. I mean, they were both very competitive lights, but Matt left first. And in my brain, I went game over. And then I'm watching the numbers come up as the cars go down the racetrack and I'm going, mm, maybe game not over. And obviously Dallas won the thing by a couple of thousandths of a second. So Matt, you know, he, Matt's got a great car right now, but uh, I, he certainly, I think, deserves to be disappointed because, you know, he got, he got ambushed a little bit. In the semifinals, Dallas's car hung a left so hard, I couldn't believe he saved it and won the round. And we talked about that in the winner's circle as well. And he said, yeah, we came back after looking at that and went, okay, guys, look, we, we know we ain't getting away with that again. They got the thing to go straight and made, I think, comparatively their best run of the weekend. But it's crazy to me, as, as competitive as pro stock qualifying is, there was 12 cars within like four hundredths of a second or five hundredths of a second or something like that in the middle of the field. But we ended up with the one, two, three, and four qualifiers in the semifinals. And it ended up being three and four in the final round. But Matt has got maybe the best pro stock car he's ever had right now. And so I guarantee you, he's wishing he could go someplace and race today. He didn't want to wait. To, he didn't want to wait a week. Well, second round, Gainesville, semis, Arizona, runner-up, Pomona. You know, Pencilman for the win in Vegas, maybe. I don't know. But that's the thing. You got to – I talked to Eddie right before the final round. He said, this is our first time out right after the track prep, right? Like they were always towards the back of the line and it's just a different, a different variable. There's all these different variables. You can say, you know, you got to learn how to win or you got, there's all these different uh, cliches. The one I like is the racing gods decide. And today the racing gods decided that Dallas Glenn, that kid's working so hard. Dallas Glenn got this nickname, double O Dallas. A lot of people don't like that nickname. I know you know that, right? Like, ah, oh, you know, Dallas Glenn, he's double O on Camry. Got, got her out of there. He does his own clutch. He does a lot of hands-on work on the car himself, as does Hartford's team. Uh, that's old school, man. A lot of people who want that, they want to know that the people that are driving the car are getting their hands dirty, doing stuff, busting their knuckles, uh, dropping cars on their feet. And Dallas Glenn is that guy. Dallas went to the final round in Pomona in 2010 and got beat. And he has wanted a Pomona trophy ever since. And he talked about that pretty extensively when I spoke with him on the racetrack, uh, you know, for the fans winter circle afterwards that, you know, the place has not always been very kind to him. He's come in here when he had a good car and got kicked in the teeth or he's come in here and made three or four runs and just couldn't quite get a handle on things. And, it, but, uh, that's, you know, being he's, even though he lives in North Carolina now and he's been back there for a number of years, he's a West Coast guy. I mean, Northwest, but still. Pomona has always had a special place for him. And after he lost to Jody Lang in 2010 in Stock Eliminator, the chance to come in here and get a trophy in Pro Stock is, is a pretty special thing for him. So, you know, he certainly deserved it. Um, I think that the biggest story in Pro Stock might be the Erica story. And I mean, I, I love Erica, but three round after what she did last year, if you told me she's going to come in here three rounds into the season, only have one win light on Sunday and qualifying as far down as she is, 
Um, I'm not sure if you should say the rest of them caught up or if they're missing something on Erica's car, but I'm really surprised to see her in the position she's in, which I think is just going to make her hungrier, but uh, it's really been a surprise that she hasn't been a bigger factor so far. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough stuff for Erica. Uh, she did get that round win this weekend to break through, but it has not been a great start. Uh, you know, Troy Coughlin kind of saving the weekend uh, for Team Elite uh, at the start of the season, but then it's been KB Titan powered cars since then. But isn't that how it's supposed to go? You're you're uh, you're you're at the top, and your competition does everything they can do to knock you off the top and then they get on top and then you work hard to knock them off the top. And I think that's what we're seeing the, the back and forth nature of the horsepower game. One thing I can say for certain though, is it ain't Erica, right? <laughs> like it's just about, it's about the car and the power. And Richard has been, he's like, we just, he's been honest. We, we don't have it just yet, but they'll, they will get it. They, they will get it. Point standings again, uh, Dallas in the lead. Uh, front page, before we get to the rest of the winners, front page of NHRA.com. I want to do a victory lap right now, Alan. You can join me if you'd like on the victory lap, but this is really for the WFO universe. I think it was, there's many factors that cause any one thing to happen. Many factors. But I think. No, it's just us. Okay. Ron Caps and SRX, baby. Ron yeah. Caps and SRX. Like, I think that is a big part of lobbying like extreme lobbying both on the air and off the air and behind the scenes for multiple years. And this guy's in there. Good job. Two time back to back to back champ, three time champ, Ron caps deserving. We got him in there celebration. Yeah. And I love the fact that he's going to run at Eldora because that's a racetrack that he's run on before. Ron has taken part in the prelude to the dream races down there at Tony Stewart's racetrack in Ohio a couple of times. I've actually been there and watched him race the thing a couple of times. And so that's definitely the place, I think, for him to get his feet wet. Could he be competitive on some of the other racetracks? Maybe. But he's got some experience on dirt, and he's got some experience at Eldora. So that definitely seems like the place to do it. And, you know, thanks to Tony and to everybody over there that, that made it happen, extended the invitation. I think it's great. Hopefully, enough drag racing eyes will pay attention to that and have positive feedback about it that that plan will expand a little bit because I know he probably hadn't driven one in a while, but I wouldn't mind seeing Doug Coletta jump in one of those things either. Absolutely. Yes. And well, and see, and that's the whole, uh, the other side of it, right? Like now through hard work and grit and determination and even being a little annoying, we've got Ron Caps in the SRX. So Caps said he was nervous about the GR super challenge the other day. So now he's got the whole drag racing world on his back and the great responsibility of not embarrassing the drag racing world uh, out there. He's got to beat, he's got to beat Willie T and he's got to beat like, you know, Elio and Ryan Hunter Ray, like those guys, those Indy car slot car guys, like they got to Caps has got to get out there and mix it up. By hook or by crook, you got to beat him, Caps. I think he's going to do just fine. I like I said, I've seen him drive dirt cars before. Uh, you know, he has the ability. He's familiar with the racetrack. I think he's going to do just fine. So uh, we'll see how it uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm actually trying to figure out if there's a way that I can get from Eldora to Topeka overnight. So I may show up over there myself. There you go. Or Austin Proc, by the way, another good uh, dirt yeah. track racer that could be part of SRX. And it's just about visibility. I know there's a lot of people who are like, what does it matter, right? And the answer is, I want I want Ron Caps out there next to Elio Castroneves. I want fans of Elio to see this guy in the Napa gear and say, man, who's that guy? He's cool, right? You know, that's a good-looking man. <laughs> and maybe they'll watch drag racing. And maybe they will watch drag racing. So good job, WFO Universe. All the letters, the countless letters, 
the protests, the sit-ins, everything that you all did. Good job. It all, it all worked. It all worked. It was all us. Joey Severance wins top alcohol. Dragster Sean Cowie had an amazing car throughout the weekend, but Severance gets the win. Doug Gordon, the champ, goes out there and wins in Pomona. Uh, Andrew Merrick wins in competition eliminator. Moek, excuse me, Bertazzi with a double up. He was on this mini Western swing. He's going out to the flings. You're not going to keep this guy down, right? Bertazzi shows up. He's actually not going to the fling. What? That was That's new information. I thought that was part of the tour. No, he said that uh, Labus is going to go win the fling. He's going to go home, take care of business, then he'll be back in Vegas. Okay. Bummer for the fling crowd, but good for Anthony. <laughs> not, not if you're racing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They're probably <laughs> pretty. He's not here. Oh, darn. Stock eliminator was Kyle Rizzoli, super comp Jessica Bagaki. That's a big win for Jessica. Marco Pervolaris in super gas, Chris Newman in suit top sportsman, uh, Anthony in top dragster, and Corey Mack. My birthday buddy wins Legends Nitro Funny Car. What do you think of that program, Alan? I, I think it went pretty well. I loved it. I love seeing the cars, and I love seeing Corey Mack back out there. Like, winning. Yeah, stuff. I thought it was great, and it was very well received by the fans. I think that NHRA did them a very big favor with the way they lined out the pit map so that the nostalgia funny cars were in the same area as the other nitro cars so fans didn't have to go like way out in the back 40 to find them or dig them up someplace and that got them some more exposure and they put on just a, an incredible show you know they're fun to watch they do big burnouts they, you know, the way they pop in capital i think is great but uh, no i thought it was i thought it was terrific i'm looking forward to the next time we see them it was interesting to note though i think you know the the winning reaction times for the sportsmen doug gordon and joey severance were both 023 which okay. in alpha car, yeah, pretty strong. Yeah. And then there's uh, Anthony Bertozzi in Superstock, 004. Kyle Rizzoli, 002. Jessica, 005. Marco, 004. You want, you want me to go on? Um, Keep going. You know, you, you had to be on time if you wanted to get out there and win. And that was cool. You know, we had uh, a couple of first-time winners. Jessica, who's been close before and has won races before, but not national races. So good. Because, you know, I'm sure she's sick of Luke going, hey, honey, when are you going to get one of these? Because you know how Luke is. But uh, I think that uh, it was, you know, all in all, it was a good day. I also think, uh, you know, Josh and Mike Rice and the powers that be, when we ended up getting shut down early on Saturday night after the top dragster accident, uh, we have a rock solid curfew on Saturday that cannot be exceeded. And so there was a lot of sportsman racing Saturday night that should have happened Saturday and didn't. And the fact that they went to work, adjusted the schedule, and with the cooperation of the racers, still were able to get everything done so we could have our parade of champions, so we could run the sportsmen in front of the pros, so we could do all that and let them have the spotlight, I think is huge. Because one of the things that I absolutely hate, and I know sometimes it can't be avoided, but I hate when the sportsman cars end up having to finish later and they don't get to run in front of the big crowd and they don't get to come down the track and tell their story in the parade of champions and, and they don't get to do that stuff. I think that that diminishes from the weekend and especially for somebody like Anthony, you know, he said the first thing he did when he got to California was get a double double because he said they don't have those restaurants where I live. He says we got to deal with all this other junk. And he said, I'm sitting there eating my double double thinking, wouldn't this be a great place to double? And then he ends up going home with two trophies. But stories like that and hearing Jessica tell her story and the, and the other stuff, when we don't get to do that, I just hate it. And there was certainly some initial talk about, well, 
I guess we're going to have to run the sportsman afterwards on Saturday night. And between Mike Rice and Josh, and we said the powers that be said, no, we can make this happen. You know, if we get this, you know, we get the cooperation of the racers being ready to go when they can hot lapping around when you're in two cars, because we had a couple of guys took two to Sunday and making it happen. We can still do this. And they made it happen. And I think that, uh, I think they deserve kudos for that because the NHRA brass certainly takes a lot of heat sometimes that they don't necessarily deserve or when they don't have an option. And I think that they deserve kudos when they make adjustments and go out of the way to try to make it better for the sportsmen. And again, nobody's really fault. It wasn't NHRA's fault. It didn't happen. It wasn't the racer's fault. It didn't happen. But for the NHRA, you know, the powers that be and the guys that do that to go, look, we can still save this and make it a special day for those racers. I think that that deserves a, uh, an attaboy. And so I'm giving them an attaboy for what they care of coming from me. As Right. Me too. And I never fight with people on Twitter about anything. But I did pop out a couple of uh, pushback comments about NHRA doesn't care about the sports and racers because it is factually inaccurate and it is not true. And it is an old, sad opinion. And if you're going to use your platform and you really want to promote sportsman racers, use your platform to promote sportsman racers, not to attack the NHRA for not when it's just factually inaccurate with all the divisional live streaming that has happened, what you just described, all that behind the scenes stuff, the parade of champions, all the social media activity that we're working on. Like there's so much that is happening now that didn't happen five years ago and definitely didn't happen 10 years ago. You cannot make that argument. Maybe in a moment, something could be better at that moment. But as far as a general attitude, it's just factually inaccurate. And so I love pushing back and uh, hopefully everyone else will push back as well. Cause when you do it, I, you know, well, you work for NHRA guys. And you know, of course they, they, they tell us what to say, Alan. That's what the, they tell us. They tell us what to say. Apparently. Yeah, I didn't even know I had a Twitter account until they told me. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. And apparently, I'd had one for four years by then. So I, I, I yeah. who knew? No. All right. Any final thoughts, Alan? Okay, we got the Easter weekend. You might go do something. That's cool. Um, but then we're back at it with a little Vegas four wide, a little four wide two step West Coast, East Coast, which is going to be fun. I really like that. Uh, I'm still lobbying for some sort of double up bonus. But uh, that's that's, uh, you know, in progress. They're probably working on it. But final thoughts before we let you go. Uh, just another great event. You know, I think that uh, I think we're off to a really good start this year. Uh, a lot of momentum coming out of Gainesville and, you know, Phoenix was terrific. And I think we had another good event. So I think we're carrying a lot of momentum going into Vegas. Uh, remember Vegas, the week after Vegas is, is the big Vegas regional. And then we're off to Charlotte and, uh, you know, come come hang out with us. And especially, you know, anybody down in Southern California, if you were there and you thought, hey, that was cool. I'd like to see more of this. Well, come see it four at a time. Um, looking forward to it already. There you go. All right, Alan. Very good. Congratulations on a great weekend. We'll see you down the road. Happy Easter. Yep. You as well. Travel safe. And I'll see you next Tuesday if I don't talk to you before then. Sounds great. There he goes. The voice of the NHRA, Alan Reinhart, joins us each week right here on WFO Radio. All right. I got that Dickie Venables interview queued up, ready to go. And I want your comments and your thoughts. Like, I try to be so positive. I do. I try to be positive. I'm positive. But uh, if you watch the Matrix movies, right, the primitive human mind rejects 100% positivity. That's just not reality, right? And so when I see someone saying, yeah, that NHRA, they don't care about the sports and racers. They're not doing enough. Man, they're doing so much more. But first of all, you got National Dragster. You got a whole magazine with all the results. You got all these people that are going around, chasing around, trying to learn as much as is possible. 
we do literally have the 10 pounds of content for the five pound bag. It is a challenge. Um, but to, you know, to try to put it on the people who really love the sport from afar is just wrong. It definitely takes the, the, takes the energy. It sucks the energy out of you when you're working so hard to do something and to try to showcase something. And then people are not watching clearly they're not seeing what you're doing it definitely it does inspire a little want a desire to push back just a little pushback like a little a little pushback like you're clearly not watching this or you haven't been watching this because that's not what's happening we're doing these things from the lanes now for social media and i want to say that's all everything but it's pretty good nick alejandre right the head games super comp dragster Allowed me to put the microphone in his face as he's getting ready for round two. And he talked about why he loves the sport. He gave us some insight into the mental strategy and all of that. When in history has that happened? And I'll tell you, rarely, never. And it's not, I'm not taking credit. I'm just saying it's happening now. Okay. So what's that worth? Nothing. Not worth anything. We just want we just want to say what we want to say. We want to push out what we want to push out, whether it's true or it's not true, because it you know it gets good uh, comebacks on the Twitter. No man, go watch those videos. Go check them out. And if you really care, if you really care, you'll share them, because that's the one that that is just it's it's perplexing. It's a an enigma wrapped in a puzzle, surrounded by a mystery. There's, there's, you know, hundreds of Lucas Oil Series racers at a race, and they all have friends and family and social media. And this is a chance to showcase and highlight what they're doing and how great they are and how amazing their cars are in a positive way. And, you know, you can click one or the other, like or share, like or share, like, share. And you click like. But if you click share, an extra 200 or 500 or 1,000 people would see it. Yeah. Not really good enough for my audience, right? Everybody should be sharing everything. Everybody should be sharing everything. Look at this guy. I like him. Just wanted to say three events into the schedule. You guys are hitting the ball out of the park. Congrats to both of you, me and Alan, Brian, J squared host of characters that support you. Hannah did a great job this weekend. You guys are doing a terrible job promoting the sport. We love to see you in Vegas, Vegas, baby. Craig wants to know why the green lights on the pro stock cars. Yeah, I did. That has been answered on hear it for Heiner. Hear it from Heiner, our Patreon show, as uh, a host of other pro stock related questions. If you want to join the Patreons, patreon.com slash WFO radio, you can join the Patreons. Now, I want to tell you about, before we get to Dickie's interview, which is just amazing and beautiful and awesome, you're going to love it, Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School. Why do we love this stuff so much? It's very difficult to say until you drive a dragster and then suddenly you understand. And Frank gives you the opportunity to do that. Like maybe you want to get your top alcohol funny car license or your super gas license or who knows. But they've got the Dragster Adventure Program where you can get a taste in just one day, a single day adrenaline-filled experience that you'll remember for a lifetime. FrankHawley.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dying over here. And most importantly, tell them you heard about it on WFO Radio, right? Frank, WFO, FrankHawley.com. Marvin Rodak, this guy, 817 Nine two four six eight two one. The Rodax Coffee 
should really be synonymous with the drag racing experience. This guy's in Fort Worth, Texas. He's a grillmeister, makes his own hot sauces and spice rubs, but it's the coffee roasted fresh per your order that is the best. Rodax, R-O-D-A-K-S, 817-924-6821. And then there's samtech.edu for the next generation of engine builders, machinists, CNC programmers, EFI tuners. They've got a great school down there in the Houston area that gets you trained up for so many great careers, whether it be SpaceX or Haas or who knows where you're going to end up. But with a Samtech education, you can go to just about anywhere. Samtech.edu. And that's another one. Tell them you heard about it on WFO. Here's the Patreons. Met a bunch of Patreons out there. Patreon.com slash WFO radio. You can join our secret society. It costs you a couple of bucks. If you join for the year, I send you a t-shirt. If you join for a month, you get decals, you get a patch, you get to be part of the WFO VIP listener community, the WFO universe. And uh, we do create special content. You get special benefits for that. And I am constantly stressing about whether it's worth it. And I always ask the patrons, is it worth it? Are you getting what you want? Are you getting what you, and they have never, no one has ever told me no just yet to my face which is amazing. And the hear it from Heiner pro stock show is a perfect example because you're learning so much about pro stock. All right. Dickie Venables in the winner's circle after winning two of three races, submarined him just total ambush job. Dickie's a friend. Let's see what Dickie Venables had to say. Mr. Dickie Venables. Venables, congrats. Thank you, Joe. So, you said like, Gainesville was beginner's luck. We're confused, and it only takes one turn of the knob to change. that happen here this weekend? It did. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't feel confident the first, well, through Phoenix. We, we'll, we'll start there. Phoenix wasn't good for us. Um, and we didn't roll in here and, and have a very good start, but we just kept at it, uh, kept on course, you know, with our new combination and stuff. I feel like we learned a whole lot with it today because it was tricky, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily the fastest car won every round, you know, it was lane choice was tricky, the right lane was better early, but there was a bump out there, so that was tough. Um, but yeah, it's just. It's proof you stay at it, you know, and it's got a person here. The guys team a couple times. Down, restarted, 40 minutes. Down, restarted, 38 minutes. Just like grooving, feeling it, you know, confident. It's, I've told three people here in the winner's circle, I'm so lucky to have every single person on this team especially Michael and Alex, you know, couldn't do it without them, but what a great group of guys. They don't make mistakes. Uh, they get it done in a hurry. And that's, uh, that means a lot. You know, it really does. It's going to be a tough year though. Like it's this early. is, a... it's early. Yeah. Um, Robert's perfect example. I mean, that guy kicked ass, won eight races, and, you know, so we'll just keep at it. You know, Joe, we Take it as they come, and if you can roll out of bed, just say we're going to go out and do our best. And at the end of the day, if you can say you did your best, then that's all you can really ask for. You know. There you go, Dicky. Congratulations. Thank you, Joe. Way to go. Yes, sir. 
Dickie Venables, Tony Stewart Racing. Great job. How great is that camera? I'm loving it. Hopefully you guys saw it the same way I saw it here. That's all a little skipping. But the bottom line is I, I love catching up with them. We don't always do winter circle interviews on location. We do have Justin Ashley coming on tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Set it. Be ready. We're also uh, set to go over a big milestone with subscribers. So hopefully you will be a part of it. If you are not already currently a subscriber, we ask you to subscribe and write a review and five stars, podcast, live stream, wherever you get WFO. We want you to be involved as best as you can and uh, enable push notifications if you download our free mobile application. All right, let's see what else everyone has to say let's see what kind of comments are in the comment section things that stuck out in your mind uh, uh let's see uh, uh right on joe combat that manure as far as the negativity goes there are a lot of people in our world our civilization that have been programmed programmed by social media to get feedback for themselves by pushing out something negative it just it's the way it works it's the way it works. Like, this is terrible. You'll get 20 people go, yeah, and you feel good about yourself. Like, yeah, I said something is terrible, and they all agreed with me. They agree. I said something negative, and they agreed. It's, 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 I get it, but it's not a good thing because you go away feeling good, and that negative thing is still floating out there. Okay, let's see. You guys are doing great. The NHRA show has been awesome. I agree. 2023, best season ever of NHRA, backing up 2022, the best season ever, right? Clarence. The sportsman guys are pros too. Okay, I could push back on that all day long. I don't know why though. Like the sportsman guys are not pros. They handle themselves uh, in a professional manner and they definitely care about the sport in maximum, like all the way because they're devoting so much to it. But a professional is someone who does it for a living. As I understand it, this kind of goes back to the Matt Smith hobby racer deal. Like, so most importantly, it's a semantical argument you're trying to make. Like the pros are sportsmen too. It's not really it. Lucas, that's why I really uh, avoid often saying sportsman racers. I like to say Lucas oil series racers, because that encompasses all these racers and it doesn't characterize them in any way that like Clarence has taken it as a negative. I don't think it's a negative necessarily. Uh, Doug Gordon. Does Doug Gordon do this for a living? No. Does Ron Caps do it for a living? Yes. They both drive funny cars and they're both champions. Okay. So what, how are we differentiating that in this sem semantical debate, right? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? And you'd have to answer me because whatever I say is not right. So what, what do you say? They're the same. They're not, well, they're not the same. They're not the same. There's something different about it. Um, so, you know, like we could split hairs on this or we could just move forward. And that's what I choose to do. Love seeing the nostalgia cars, legends, funny cars, but they are nostalgia, funny cars. They're awesome. Way to go. Corey Mack. Uh, Steve, NHRA did a great job getting the track dry and everyone getting two hits on Thursday when the rain, uh, never came. NHRA did a great job, period. The track, that's what I care about. Um, you know, the way you officiate a certain moment could always be better, but the fact that they went all in and made in and out burger Pomona drag strip look as good as it did on television and in person. And here's my goal. Okay. Everybody want in on this? You all know that the big Patreon meetup is happening at the Stampede of Speed this year, and we're going to be telling everybody where to be and what to do. But if you're planning on traveling to a trip, to a race, uh, and you're a Patreon, 
you can come hang out with us at the Stampede of Speed because I'm going to be there for the entire deal, the whole thing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Champions Dinner and all the different things associated. Jeg's All-Stars, really great race down there in uh, Texas. But I really think we can sell out the In-N-Out Burger Finals. Like, I think that's a goal that we should all set. Like, we, those of us who care about drag racing and love drag racing, like, I think the goal that we should set right now, early in the season, target a sellout at the In-N-Out Burger Finals. And uh, we can do it. We got to be working hard. You know, I, I many of you saw the couple of hits that I did on local media. I got to be on KTLA, which was big. All my LA friends were texting me like, hey, you're on my TV, that kind of stuff. Really good stuff. Uh, a lot of fun. I was very lucky and fortunate to be able to do that. They moved up. It was going to be Leah. And they had set it for like 945 and then live television. They're like, we want to go at 907. Is she here? She wasn't there yet. She had planned 945. And they threw a curveball. And so Costello gets the call to the bullpen. And I get to be on KTLA, baby. Second time on LA TV. The first time was when Stan Lee passed away. And I got to comment on his life, even though I know very little about comic books. But it was great stuff. You guys are doing great. NHRA show has been awesome. Yes, it has. How about J squared Galvin and Logan and Hannah stepping in. I am able to go over to the television side and take over the starting line job. Bruno moved into uh, Amanda's position. Like everybody's shifting around. It was good stuff. Jim says we want a bitch. Everybody does. I do too. Sometimes when I went in and there was a line of 50 people that I had to wait in to get my receipt at the gas station. I pumped out a negative tweet, too. You just got to know. You got to know what it is. The indignities of living in a post-fact world, Joe. Well, you no, know, everybody just has their own facts. Whatever they want to be true is true. And really, in a way, like what is perception is reality. But you have to search for actual information, I think, to support what you're saying. Hey, Joe, how about a segment on the cool helmets I've been seeing? Is this Jerron Settles? Yeah, man. We have we used to have a guy that would send us photos of all the cool helmets he painted, and he stopped. Then I felt like he has he, he feels like he has ringed out uh, enough followers out of the WFO universe, and now is no longer engaged with the show like he used to be. Jerron. I love the idea of helmets. Let's do it. Roger Richards, my buddy. What's up, Roger? Hopefully you're you're looking better. You're back. Roger Richards is back, baby. The too fast, too tasty format is the best thing NHRA has done lately. Love it, says Spock59. Facts. Much better than anyone could have possibly dreamed. And why? Well, the Aaron Hartford burn down, right? Oh, go staging duel, burn down, whatever. In pro stock, we'll call it a staging duel. In pro mod, we call it a burn down. Nothing's going to burn in pro stock. But that minute 19 or whatever it was, and they're going to run again at the next two wide race. Yes. The fact that Hartford got to come back on Camry just days later. She beat him in Arizona. He beat her in Pomona. Like that's how rivalries are built. One of the biggest problems of our sport now was, as opposed to the match race days, the drivers don't run against each other enough. You might run once at the beginning of the year and not run again all year long. You might not see each other all year long, ever. Think about Leah and Brittany, how few uh, times that they have raced. It's just a rare occurrence randomly and this 
Mission Foods Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge solves that problem. You run, you run again. You run in the semis, you will run again. You're going to run again next week. And then suddenly the feelings are amplified. Man, this guy kicked my butt last week. If he kicks my butt again this week, that's two weeks in a row. Maybe we go to the semis. Like, and it could be four in a row. And now you're just, you're, you're the nail getting hammered. Before the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge, there was just too much gap between when people had to run each other for us to, and also knowing that it was going to happen. That's a big part of it too. You have 40 minutes to preview a race. That's not enough. Now you have a week or two weeks or three weeks, like this Hartford Aaron Stanfield deal, like how big we could get everybody's side on it. We could get their opinion. We could go dive into it and feel free content creators out there to pick a matchup of the too fast, too tasty and analyze it uh, way too much. Like we would a college basketball game or a football game. You know what the matchups are? Pick one, get their records, tweet it out, go deep. That's what uh, I think everybody needs to do. Instead of posting out negative tweets, you know, they don't do enough. Lots of sportsmen have businesses and jobs, but they want to race. They don't make it a 23-minute commitment spending the pro money. What, right, which makes them not a professional. That's all. Like, I don't understand why it's an insult. Why, why is that an insult? You know, someone who plays golf every single weekend and is like a four handicap or a three handicap is devoting everything to golf and spending a ton of money. But they're not a pro golfer. Pro golfer is someone who has foregone everything else and committed to being a professional. Like, I just don't understand why this is a beef. There is the, that beef that, you know, they're not. It's just the way it is, man. College basketball is not professional basketball. This is not. But again, it's semantical. Like Nicole is obviously bothered. You can you can hear by the response. You can see like, oh no, we want to be considered professionals too. Yes, but then what are the professionals? If everybody's a professional, it's just not the same. Sorry, not the same. You're not going to win me on this one, but it's not disrespectful. And I kind of put it in the, anyway. First show since Gainesville, miss it. Be listening for Ashley tomorrow. One o'clock, just Ashley. Don't miss it. Seriously though, uh, you were ducking Joey in the parade of champions. No, Joey's ducking me, man. Joey Severance. He doesn't want to come on WFO. I don't want to do that to Joey. I love Joe and his dad. We just didn't, you know, didn't get connected for the parade of champions on WFO last year. Maybe if he wins again this year, we can try again. What are you doing for Easter this weekend? Staying home, playing with new kittens. Got kittens here now at the house. Four kittens were born while I was gone. They I uh, can't touch them for several days, but soon they will be uh, running around and jumping and playing with balls of string. And so that's what we're doing for Easter. The Fairplex is a big place. There's still a lot of people. I was there Saturday. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, Reinhardt nailed it. What is the capacity of the venue? How many people are there? Capacity of the venue, the Arizona National, somebody told me somewhere around 13, and we hit the number. What's the capacity of In and Out Burger drag strip at Pomona? In and Out Burger Pomona drag strip. Something like 30 something? Were we over 13? We were, definitely. And were we up year over year? 
definitely you had a decent Friday crowd, three o'clock on a Friday. Uh, not everybody can just blow it off their job. A lot of people did. They blew it off, man. Not coming, not coming into work. Saturday was, I felt like a good crowd, even a strong crowd considering that's another thing. People don't think about the context of a situation. There's context in every situation. People are incapable. That's my statement of the day. People are incapable of thinking about the context. This is a post-pandemic world in a state that took it very, very seriously. And a lot of people in lockdown, they took it very seriously. You can debate uh, whether that was right or wrong or good or bad all on your own. But it is a statement of fact that this is a post-pandemic event in a state that took it very seriously. And we were up. We grew. I don't think it's fair to compare anything to pre-pandemic numbers anymore. I don't think that's reality. I think you got to start from scratch. Well, back in the Winston day, like you, you can't do that. That's not where we are. My opinion. Really nice visual Venables uh, audio needs some work. Maybe it was the wind. Yeah, uh, Richard, those are the breaks. I just like racing, period. Yes, Jeff. Joe is a cat guy now. Always, uh, always a cat guy. That's not true. When I was a kid, had many cats. Always. I uh, dig their vibe, right? They kind of remind me of me, like just aloof. Uh, are the professionals who also earn a living with their own business is still a, a professional? Yes, they are professional in their business. That's great. Like a professional machinist. Whereas me, I go get on a lathe. I'm a sportsman machinist, not even hobby, hobby machinist, hobby fabricator, hobby engine builder. But if you're an engine builder, like, you know what? Doug Gordon is a professional cabinet maker. He's got one of the best cabinet making businesses in the world. Why is that not good enough? And I'm goofing with Doug, but you get what I'm saying. Hopefully they all understand as well. This is an, a nonsensical semantical debate. Too many people put too much importance on a word rather than looking at the intent or meaning. True. Will they ever open up the West Side bleachers again at Pomona? Yeah, sure. When the demand for the product exceeds the capacity on the left side. Although I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't open it back up. Why would I do that? You got that great billboard. I would just pack them in uh, over the top on the left-hand side. The right-hand side at Pomona, I'm going kind of off topic here, but it's a big waste of everybody's time. You got to walk around the backside of the tower. You're not near the pits. You're way over there. You got to staff it. It takes forever to get there. Like it's pointless. Early on, I think they would have done better by building or renting some big Formula One style suites over there and do an upsell to like big corporations for $100,000 for the year or something. Like that's what I would love to see over there. Like big Formula One style luxury. That's what I want to see. I know everybody hates when I say that. But that's what I think the sports next big step needs to be like some sort of extremely high level, very expensive seating with waitresses or waiters, bar staff, you know, like a porch, you go out a rooftop observation deck, you're behind glass, air conditioning, and you charge extreme amounts of money for it. I think that would really be helpful to drag racing. I know. Send your hate mail, Joe at WFL radio. 
I think 30,000 uh, double doubles were sold. Good for her. I have no idea the numbers. I know that they were great. Having it at the track was great. And in the world of marketing, there are these cults. And it's a really good thing to be like the leader of one of the cults, like Apple, cult, Tesla, cult. Yeti coolers was mentioned earlier. Cult. There are people. There's a lot of ways to keep your stuff cold, but they got to have the Yeti, man. They don't want like a regular, you know, igloo. They don't want that. They want Yeti. Why? Why do they want Yeti? What is it about Yeti? Well, it keeps it colder for longer. Yeah. Is it that? Or are you making a statement about yourself? You're making a statement about people you run through. It's a cult. In and out has a cult. The cult of In and Out Burger. Southern California, it's hot rod culture. It's the cool burger place. If you're going to pick a burger place, you're going to In and Out. That's it. In and Out, the cult of In and Out. And that's why I think we can sell out the In and Out Burger finals because everybody that's cult of In and Out should feel empowered to get out there and be a part of that because they're into drag racing, but because they're part of cult of In and Out. And Lindsay, we did an attention in the pits with Lindsay. She was great. I hope I have a good Easter too, Blake. You too, Blake. Happy Easter to you. Good luck finding all the eggs. The advantage of the West Side Grandstand had was no alcohol was allowed, made it very family friendly for obvious reasons. Well, yeah, Jim, but that might have been uh, back in the day where people were losing control of themselves uh, with alcohol back then. You know, I don't think that that's a problem at any of our races anymore. And even uh, society wise, like, I don't know, at drag races, like, I never have had the experience of being at a drag race with a bunch of like wasted, you know, drunkoid people that were not family friendly. Like that's, you know, kind of like seventies, eighties thing. I don't know. I'm not experiencing it. I'm not seeing it. I'm not hearing people talk about it. I think like, why do I want my poor little kids who have to take a million steps to get over there and are going to be exhausted, like literally exhausted, just walking over there, poor little kids, schlepping them all that way, all the way around the back of the tower, all the way over there, just so that maybe there won't be any uh, alcohol allowed. And then mom and dad who want to have alcohol, they got to schlep all the way back. A bad idea, Jim. Love you. Like the idea of sweets. Yeah. Come to Formula One and you'll see. That's what, what that's where the sport has to go, guys. Whether you like it or you don't like it or you think it's good or it's bad or it's otherwise. Maple Grove has the Nitro Club, which is inside a suite. Yes, I was in there. What do you think about Whataburger? We'll have to challenge the burger brand to challenge at Dallas Drag Race. I would love that. We've got all kinds of rivalries out there. We've got spark plug rivalries. We used to have the battle of the beer. How do we not have any beer involved in drag racing? That's a travesty. Let's fix that. But the burgers, right? Yeah, what a burger. In and out is whooping you. In and out is all up in drag racing and the car culture people. What a burger. Like, do something with Dallas. Go down there and get involved in the stampede of speed. Do something. That's it. It's as simple as that. Do something because you're getting the pants whipped off you. Oh, this guy hates Yeti. Blake says, thanks. We need a tunnel to the west side. Like, so no, we don't. No tunnels. Racers against tunnels. Nobody likes them. They always cause a bump. 
There's always a problem. What a burger rocks. This guy likes what a burger. Oh, see, it's regional, man. It's what you grow up with. I've been to Whataburger. I've been coached through Whataburger. Whataburger is it's a fine burger. But it's just very different than an In-N-Out burger. The, the price point is different. Whataburger is much more expensive. It's much bigger. I don't think it's on a toasted bun. The service at Whataburger, in my experiences... It's definitely not as cheerful and positive as In-N-Out. It was more of a standard fast food experience. The customer service at In-N-Out is a big thing. And frankly, there's no car culture tie. What a burger could choose to be car culture. I'm not seeing it. This guy says what a burger stinks. He's against it. All right, you're, you're gonna, it's all fast food. I think technically all fast food. All right, guys, that's it. Fun show. Did an hour and a half with you guys today. Tomorrow, Justin Ashley. One o'clock Eastern time. The archives loaded. The Ignition podcast. Tremendous. Sue Morris, Giovanni in Miami. They were talking about it. They were. I was in the airport. I was involved for a few minutes, but it was very fun. It was very interesting. Remember, hear it from Heiner. Patreon show. We'll have a new one. And we're headed to Vegas next. Happy Easter to all you guys if you don't tune in or log on for the remainder of the week. We need some new subs, guys. We need new subs so we can go over a major threshold that I've been working hard to get us over. Slowly but surely. All right, guys. Thank you to everyone. Appreciate all you guys that said what's up out there at Pomona and Arizona WFO. <laughs>